genre. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are diving into Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. We are discussing Minute 4, which begins with a fish continuing to swim past a whale, and ends with King Triton riding his chariot pulled by three dolphins through the concert hall. Minute 4 of The Little Mermaid features more title cards for original score, produced by, directed by... Mer people swimming through the ocean towards Atlantica and into the concert hall, and a fanfare and seahorse announcing King Triton. So, correction from yesterday, the original score is part of this minute, not Wednesday's minute. Minute yes. four, not minute three. Now we know. I did not write it down, but I'm assuming it said Alan Menken. It did just say Alan Menken. I do remember that. So, okay. original score, Alan Menken. He got an Academy Award for it. Yeah. And we know that he got that one just for himself, just for the score. That's all. Just the whole score. <laughs> you know, just the whole film score. I remember it was, I think it was on the commentary. It might have been one of the features on the Blu-ray. But somebody at the Academy Awards is, sat down by Alan, I think it was. And he said, look, I don't know anything, but... Two of those statues had fins on them. <laughs> or, or scales or something. <laughs> or so, uh, he said something like, I think two of those statues had scales on them. Saying, you know, those are set aside for the Little Mermaid. Yes. Not literally. I don't think they customize them like that. No. But, but I, wouldn't have a, and, I wouldn't put it past someone. And I, I think they ended up saying that... That they did not think that that, was a, yeah. that was a thing oh, or something. Alan Menken definitely said, he's like, we were not expecting to win Academy Awards <laughs> yes. for this. Like, but, they did a good job, and they they put the work in and everything, and they did a great job. And everyone knew they did a great job, but they didn't expect the Academy Award for original score. Right, right. Because that is original score for all the movies that came out that year. It's not for animated. It's not delineated by anything. It's original score. Right. Which yeah. is a big deal. Original scores are, are – I'd say that's probably the biggest musical or even uh, audio-based Definitely. Uh, Academy Award. I'd say it's probably bigger than than Foley work, audio effects, or anything like that. And and bigger than original song. Original song's relatively limited by comparison. So right. good job and way to go for not counting on it. <laughs> not being disappointed by it. And then it says produced by, which is Howard Ashman and John Musker. Yes. So John Musker was one of the directors. Mm-hmm. And Howard Ashman, as we mentioned, uh, wrote the lyrics to all the songs, uh, working with Alan Menken. Because Alan Menken does lyrics on his own now sometimes. Yes. And, and but not always. He's he's done um, – he's worked with – I think it was Tim Rice on Lion King. I think so. Uh, as well as Elton John collaborating on, on some of that stuff. But Alan Menken's done a lot for for Disney. Yes. And Howard Ashman did work with the – with Alan Menken for the, the orchestration, but he's not as big as an orchestrator, so... So they kind of split it that way. Yeah. But they worked really they, well together. They were, like, a really close team, and... Which is always great yes. when you find the right team, and, and they work well, and they make something amazing. You know, yes. they, they make art like this. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, uh, like, 
we are, we're just going to go ahead and say, it's going to be the case when we talk about most films, but we are fans and we think these things are good and worthwhile and excellent art. And we're comfortable calling them art, not just movies or films. Like It's art. Yeah. When you put all of this together, they've, they've made a piece of art and I think it deserves to be treated with respect. And, and we're typically going to be saying good things about all of these films. I might have some holdouts. You know, where we might not say such good things, but also we've... But there will, but even if in the films that the, we might not say good things about, there's probably going to be we'll, we something. We will say good things. Some, like, 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 for the majority, there might not be a lot that we're, like, fans of. I'm sure we could find at least one good thing yes. in every film for every day we record. Yes. I, I don't think it would be a problem. But we also reserve the right to not cover a film if we don't think it's worth it. <laughs> We'll probably talk about full. it, but yeah. not, in, not, not, not minute by minute. That's that's why we have the essentials in our name. So does it, it? And then it goes to directors, right? And it goes to writers and directors. Okay, what does it says, have for writers? Well, it says it just says oh, written and, and directed, directed by. by. Okay, John Musker and uh, um, Ron Clements. Classic Disney directing team. They're still a team to get they, today. As far as I know, they do not have a directing credit. Without being together. They they are... Like, any film that one is listed as director, the other one is also listed as director. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that continues from from here? Or did they do any before this one? Yes. They both directed, or were part of the directing team, for Great Mouse Detective. Excellent. And they both were on the writing team for Black Cauldron. Less memorable. Yes. Generally speaking. But, I haven't seen it. So maybe it's very memorable if you've seen it and it just hasn't been uh, presented to enough people. But it, we'll see. It, it, we'll get to it's it. It's been years since I've seen it and I don't know. But Great, great Mouse Detective, great work. So they've, if they haven't been like working side by side, just the two of them. They've been they've, a part of a team They've been a together. part of the team together. Right. So they're, they are always on each other's uh Movies as directors, mm-hmm. if if not with other people as well. Now with Ron Clements, uh-huh. uh huh. He, when he was working on Great Mouse Detective, he was browsing a bookstore, and he came across a set of Hans Christian Andersen uh, fairy tales, and that's when he decided that he wanted to do Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, and so it it was up to him, and then he wrote a two page. Uh, uh, a, p- a pitch, basically. Pitch, and Michael Eisner passed it over because it seemed very similar to the sequel to 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 Splash, which was a live action film starring about- Tom Hanks. Yes, and John Candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a little about a mermaid. Yes, um, and so they were working on the sequel, and he thought it was too similar. It was a Disney, yes, property. The very next day, it was Jeffrey Katzenberg who called Clements and Musker back up uh, and were like, no, let's, let's, let's do this. We are going to have a very interesting relationship with Jeffrey Katzenberg, aren't we? Yes. And Will Eisner. I mean, frankly, like both of as, as fans of Disney, we are going to have an interesting relationship of loving them and hating them both and each at separate times. I'm sure. <laughs> Yes, especially because of the with, movies. They uh, because of decisions like this. I mean, Will Eisner said no to this, and it's so crucial. 
But and and John Katzenberger or Jeffrey, Jeffrey. Katzenberger said yes to this along with Oliver and Company. That he he picked them both up at the same time mm-hmm. with with Ron and, and or or mostly Little Mermaid was just mm-hmm. Ron and and uh, John. But then later there are some other things where we're like Jeffrey Katzenberg did some other things later on, and ultimately, but also uh, even with this film, oh, he had uh, some some influence. Yes, but he's one, not listed as a producer, but he might have had that kind of. Uh, one of them was as they were working on the film at, at first, he thought that it was going to not be great because everyone was going to feel, look at it as a girls' film, quote unquote. Um, Which I'd say, uh, historically, it has been couched in those terms. Right, but it has not hurt its success. uh, And he's like, because it's going to be considered a girl's film, it's going to make less money and not be as great um, as Oliver and Company and some other films. I'd say distinctly better than Oliver and Company, but we are not doing that one minute by minute right now. But when they got there, but yes. But when they got closer to the end of production, then he revoked his statement. He's like, we have a masterpiece on our hands. That's fine. I mean, uh, points for that. I was thinking more about... Him leaving? Yeah, towards the end of the 90s when he left and became the letter K in DreamWorks SKG. Yes. (laughs) The S is for Spielberg, by the way. So (laughs) it is... the, The history of DreamWorks is... Very interesting. Um, but yeah, so, Katzenberg, we are glad that you helped make Little Mermaid happen. Um, and I guess just with everyone, with anyone in, in that level of power position, there's going to be a tough balance between the positive and negative that you feel about them and, and the decisions that they made. But in regards to Howard Ashman and Alan Minkin and John Musker and Ron Clements, I can't think of a single thing that I do not have to say negative. A, a single them. thing to say about them yes, negatively. negatively. I, when we watched some of the special features, because uh, uh, John Musker and, and uh, Ron, Ron Clements, Clements were on the as, li- as I, well as Alan Minkin. Uh, on, Mo- on Moana. Oh. Um, um, is what I'm talking about. So they were all on the commentary for for this disc. But um, so John Musker and Ron Clements uh, directed Moana. So they have been directing for Disney since 89 for almost 30 years now as their team. Um, and they, I'd say they've had something every couple of years for the most part. Um, maybe not constantly, but every once in a while they've had something. And some of the, the biggest hits that they had, especially in the Renaissance. And now up to Moana. In some of the special features uh, for Moana, they seemed a little bit passionless, I would say. But that could just be um, me misunderstanding their experience with the craft um, and their comfort with it as being calm and collected and and then lacking the passion. So that's pretty much the only thing. It's possible. Is from some of those special features on Moana, I was like, oh, these guys seem a little clinical about this. I'm Like, I'm not sure if they, like care enough but they've also been doing it for 30 years and so maybe their caring is just a little harder to see um but it is in fact there and they do have the motivation and i think moana is a great film so i don't question their ability to to do the job right. um through, through you know even through what i interpreted as but even with passion. even with that it's not as negative as no like that, that is not a Jeffrey hit Katzenberg. about 
Or, um... They did not leave the company to start a competitor. Right. But then there's Howard Ashman, who I just have high praise high for. Praise. High, high praise. I mean, uh, these songs are fantastic. It's uh, just, uh, Howard Ashman, thank you for everything you've done. I have said it outside this podcast. I don't think I've said it on this podcast. Um, but possibly. Little Mermaid has four massive show-stopping hit numbers. And I do not think you can say that about basically any other musical. Um, I can't think of another musical that has musical numbers like that. But Little Mermaid has Under the Sea, Part of Your World, Kiss the Girl, and Poor Unfortunate Souls. And every single, th- every single one of those can be performed as a showstopper, standing ovation uh, performance number. Absolutely. And I'm sure on Broadway, there have been nights when each of those has received a uh, a standing ovation, if not in the same night, certainly it, somebody has performed it in such a way that it was an absolute showstopper. Yes. And that is a hard thing to do. Like, maybe Hamilton <laughs> has that number of of amazing, iconic songs. Maybe. And and I'm not even sure about that. No, no offense to Lin-Manuel Miranda, but for, like, if you try to pick which is the iconic song... I can't tell you which one it is because all four of them are amazing and credit to Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. And I think more than one song was nominated for the, for best song. It, I the know Academy that there Wars. was more than one, but so, I'm checking so for how many. So of those four, at least two of those were nominated in the same year for the same category of best original song. And I would say that doesn't happen now. No. Uh, you typically, uh, it, you might get two. From a single film, I'd say like like with Moana, Moana, credit where it's due. You have your welcome, and you have how far I'll go. You don't have four showstoppers um, like this, but I do hope that maybe on the next one that Lin Manuel Miranda works on, we get four showstoppers at the at the Little Mermaid level is what I'm going to call it because that is four for four. Those songs are undeniably big hits. Yes. So there were only just two songs that were nominated. but You don't have to tell me which ones they they were. You can save it for when we get there. But I I wouldn't be surprised. And then one of them won. Yes, and one of them won. If if all four were were considered at all. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if I can guess which two were nominated and then which one won. I would... If I had to guess... I would say, um, and Kestra is hiding her face so she doesn't give away. I'm going to close my eyes so so it's not given away. But I'm I'm making a guess here at the beginning of the movie, and we'll find out later on. I would guess that Under the Sea and Part of Your World were the two that were nominated. And I think Under the Sea should be the winner, but Part of Your World would be fine if it was the winner. I would not be at all surprised if Kiss the Girl or Poor Unfortunate Souls uh if either of those were nominated, I, f- I still feel like Under the Sea is the one that I would pick as the winner personally, but that might be um, colored by cultural experience for the last 30 years. So that is my, that is my, my guess. Um, we can write it down if we want, or we'll just try to remember what my guesses were when we get to those minutes that contain those songs. But I mean, those are four fantastic songs and all the rest of the music is plenty enjoyable we i mean we spent minutes 
rhapsodizing about the greatness of Fathoms Below, uh, even though it's it's awfully short. Dodgers of Triton, also quite enjoyable. There are songs that I very much enjoy from the Broadway uh, soundtrack that aren't part of the film. Like She's in Love. She's in Love is is <laughs> chief among them. <laughs> I really enjoy that song. And I would say almost also a fifth showstopper yes. for, for the Broadway performance. And quite possibly gets a standing ovation every once in a while. But I don't know. I, haven't, I have not seen Little Mermaid on Broadway. But I am sure that Under the Sea gets standing ovations all the time. If it is performed just right and they and they have the right night with the right performance, I would not be surprised at all. But I wouldn't be surprised if any of those four got it because they're they're great. And I I would believe that if they re-release this in the theater, they might have to put in uh breaks for people to applaud <laughs> those four songs because they're great. Yes. Do you have anything else on the title cards? Oh, was that all just the title cards? <laughs> Um, I think I'm okay. We'll keep talking about these people later on, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. I just have a question. Okay. So, Atlantica is this the underwater city, city? palace. Palace? I guess it, I guess Atlantica would be the city, but it's typically like basically you just see the palace. Yes. And it's not named in the film, but it's named in the TV series and in, in the sequels as well. Mm-hmm. Is it in a Cavern? You're talking about because, so we see at the end of the title cards, we see like a merman swim by and then he's got a mer family with him and, and uh, lots of more people start swimming and then they swim through a cave and get to Atlantica. I am pretty sure that you can swim straight up from the ground of Atlantica to the surface of the ocean. Okay. Because I was confused about that. Because from the from where it everyone is, everyone like, swam through yeah. a a cavern of some kind or or a tunnel. Right. I would say they swam through a tunnel, not into a cave, though. Okay. That is that is my interpretation based on uh, the the imagery we get, as well as the uh, what we've seen of the animated series. I would I would interpret it as being accessible from most sides. Okay, makes sense. And then the mermaids are swimming to the concert hall, and uh, the uh, and we get the, the the shot of the golden palace of Atlantica. Yes, yes. the golden palace. It's beautiful. It's, Does not look like a castle in a, no. in a typical sense. No, I wouldn't say it is. It looks especially coral like, but I I could imagine that's sort of what they're going for. Possibly, yeah. Uh, and then we get King Triton. Yes. So before we get to King Triton, I'm just going to throw out, I mean, if you're on the internet and you've loved Disney, you've no doubt seen a number of things that were basically trying to ruin experiences with Disney films, including things about The Little Mermaid and phallic imagery uh, involved with Atlantica, especially on the cover of a certain VHS packaging. We're not going to deal with that. If you're on the internet, you've either seen it and you still love Disney or you've seen it and you're trying to ruin someone's day. We're not interested in that. So we go into the concert hall. King Triton arrives being pulled by three dolphins. Yes. <laughs> oh, the seahorse announces him. Seahorse announces him. I love that seahorse with his, with his like Shakespearean era collar <laughs> and, and his little voice. And I'm like, never sure. It's like, is he a giant seahorse? Nope. He's just a small seahorse. He's like really <laughs> tiny. Yeah. He's, he's really tiny. And, I love that seahorse. Harold. 
The, well, his name's not Harold, but I'm going to call him Harold the Herald. <laughs> Harold the Herald. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, but so with him, be with King Triton. Yes. In his chariot. His seashell. His seashell. It, it, which is, it's a big old shell. Yes. Also, seashell. not like any shell that I can imagine having seen. It's not like half of an oyster or anything like that. Right. I don't know. But it's definitely a seashell. Yes. And it's being pulled by three dolphins. Yes. How do the dolphins breathe? That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> I have that written down. Yes. Um, I don't know. They swim off screen, so maybe there is an air bubble area maybe. nearby. I definitely had the same question, though. I was very concerned about the survival of those dolphins, because we saw other dolphins at the surface earlier... And I do not want these dolphins to die. But also in tomorrow's minute, there are dolphins in the crowd as well. So I'm just... Dolphins can hold their breath for a long time. I will quickly search how long. Okay. We are back. Research has provided answers saying that dolphins can hold their breaths in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 minutes, but some have been known to push it towards 20 Okay. That is not really enough time. Also, they typically um, dive like around 500 feet. And I'd say the Atlantica needs to be significantly deeper. Yeah. Than that for its its current uh, position. So dolphins, not an ideal steed no. for the chariot. Um, because eight to ten minutes, there's not plenty of time to get air, dive down. Get hitched up, pull the chariot in, de-hitch from the chariot, unhitch, unhitch from the chariot, and then swim to wherever they're getting oxygen. Although, if there is a bubble room in the concert hall, they would probably be reasonably okay. Not ideal. Uh, staying in the crowd? Very bad idea for a dolphin. So, dolphins are not the best case scenario for this. Yeah. but you also I'm have... really worried about these dolphins. Yeah. And is this information information that you believe would have been known in the 1980s? Yes. I think marine biology was advanced enough, especially in regards to dolphins. Okay. That they were not expecting dolphins to be able to survive hours underwater. Uh, sperm whales, I think, have the longest time, up to 90 minutes. But those are big old whales with big old lungs. Uh, and dolphins, they said, pretty much like up to 20 minutes. Okay. Um, even orcas, killer whales, the largest of all dolphins, uh, really only go up to like 15-ish um, most of the time. And this might be only trained dolphins that manage 20. So we're dealing with like an 8 to 10 for the for the typical dolphin. Not enough time to really enjoy a concert unless Sebastian has unusually short pieces of music. <laughs> Yes. Um, I guess it, it like it would be enough time to dive down and enjoy like uh, four thirty three or something like that, but I don't think that's what we we're getting here. I think it's a longer concert. Uh, okay. is being prepared. So dolphins, ooh, dolphins, be careful! Don't yes. dive for the music. Yes, I I think. Uh, I think they just weren't too worried about it, but 
also possibly the I mean the the ability to research that information in the 1980s was not what it was now. We have that at our fingertips now. At that time, it, they would have probably needed to send someone to the library or a local uh, aquarium, aquarium or or marine study center at like a local college or something. Okay. Um. But if they were doing it today, I suspect they just wouldn't use dolphins. They use something else. Mm. Okay. But I like the dolphins. They look good. Yeah, they do. I like the seahorse better. He's my yes. favorite. My last note for this minute is that there is a hidden Mickey Donald Duck. Not a not a hidden Mickey in the traditional sense where you have three circles intersecting right. in a certain way. This is an actual Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse is submerged. Donald Duck and Goofy, and there's also a Kermit the Frog. I saw the Kermit. I was I have not been able to see see the uh, the other three. Our our Blu-ray copy the there's a pop-up that comes up when you pause the f- the film that covers right where Mickey and Goofy and Donald would be hidden. Okay, you have you have shown me a picture on your phone. I can definitely see the Goofy and the Donald. Mickey is a little harder for me to spot, but I believe that's that's accurate. They're not in like mermaid form, right? No, not that they're I'm just, they're aware just of. Tucked into the background. Yes. All right. I would have preferred it if they were in mermaid form, which I think did happen in the Kingdom Hearts video games, which I have not played. But um, I think I think that's something that happens. They have some undersea adventures and have to be in in some sort of mermaid form. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all we have for you today. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels, group. Until next time, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs> <laughs>